Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome, welcome, children of the night. Welcome to Friday the 13th. Well, it may not be night. It may not be Friday the 13th where you are. It's probably daytime. You're probably sitting in your office listening to this boss unawares. But let's pretend. That's the heart of storytelling anyway, isn't it? This is Tales to Terrify. Things to terrify you are things of the night. So let's just turn off the lights for a bit. Let's close the drapes. Let's lock the doors. And there we have it. All of us, children of the night. Tales to Terrify is a sister podcast of the Hugo Award-winning Starship Sofa, which is our older, wiser, and far more dignified sibling. And my name is Larry Santoro. You may know me from the Starship. I've done a number of things there. I've been around for a bit. You may also know me from some of my writing. Uh, You'll hear more about that later as we go along over the weeks. Tonight, though, tonight, I've got a little story that was written by a good friend of mine, a friend that I met when I first moved to Chicago from uh, Minnesota. His name is Martin Munt, and I met Marty when I walked in off the street one day to attend a writer's reading group called Twilight Tales. It was at a pub called The Red Lion. Marty was upstairs helping the people from uh, Twilight Tales to stuff envelopes, and I said, well, do you need help? And Marty said, well, sure, of course. And I had no idea that Marty was a reader, and I had no idea that Marty was a writer of extraordinary talents, but here he is. Marty, by the way, uh, think of this as, as, as you listen. Marty looks exactly as Marty sounds. Marty writes strange things. He writes dark things. He writes extraordinarily funny things. I think you'll like this. We'll talk a little bit about it later. It's called Chair. Marty?
He had sold his legs for food two months before, maybe longer. He didn't remember when exactly. The past blurred, the slope beneath his memory steepened. He remembered once watching the rumbles of black smoke shuddering out of a city jimmy grinder after it had snaked its wide blue corrugated hose down into a manhole where the understreet people lived, poor bastards, and then started sucking the discarded bones up from the sewer and mulching them down into recyclables. He remembered exactly how that insulation-thick, black cloud billow of smoke extruded from the sparkling steel teeth as they sawed down the snarls of fresh bones, a fine, almost weaponized powder of smoke, like expensive, delicate oil stains flying on the wind. That's what the past was like in his head, all of his life slipping like a mulched patch of dirty camouflage into the smudged smokestack horizon. So maybe he had sold his legs two years ago. He couldn't quite remember. And anyway, he liked to look to the future. He liked to think of himself as an optimist. After all, he hadn't sold his legs for money to buy food for himself. No. He'd sold his legs right up to the crotch, so somebody out there, somebody wealthy, it went without saying, could have exotic meat for their gourmet dinner. Or maybe for their dog bowls. Hell, he didn't know. What difference did it make to him once the legs were gone? All he knew was that he had gotten paid, thank Forbes. And since he was already on record as an optimist, he took the profits from his legs and bought a franchise, selling bobbleheads of the country's most famous, most beloved billionaires on the curbside. A down-market franchise, to be sure, but leg meat didn't bring much money. On the other hand, he knew that every millionaire started with a single dollar of profit, and he couldn't afford the bobbleheads of the truly desirable trillionaires to be sold as good luck trinkets at the entrances of the court building or the hospitals or the stock markets. He could hardly even dream of such a thing. But his business plan practically guaranteed moderate and steady growth, which would eventually enable him to expand into that market after three to five years, after an interim move from his curbside location to the expressway off-ramp. He kept Forbes's haiku written in international waters in mind during those difficult days. Sails filled, golden wind, silver seas, diamond waves, steer by the dollar. In the end, he, along with many others, didn't anticipate the 186th through 199th consecutive quarters of contraction for the curbside bobblehead franchise economy. With equanimity and patience, however, he recalled Forbes's koan upon buying Yellowstone. A dollar sparkles at the bottom of a clear mountain lake, but is not where it seems. The bobblehead venture wiped him out and left him legless in the gutter. He lay on his back without prospects, his left shoulder sodden in a viscous, water-based liquid that meandered toward a blocked storm drain down the street in a slow rainbow slurry. His right shoulder shivered in the breeze of passing hover cars. He stared up at the artificial sky and spoke to the world. You will see, he said, though I am nothing now, I will succeed. I will become a millionaire, and then I will become a billionaire, and is becoming a trillionaire beyond my reach? I don't think so. You will see. 
His left arm had begun to burn from the gutter water mixed with wastewater, mixed with the industrial intestinal fluids from the organic factories, so he knew the time had come to make lemons out of lemonade. After all, he liked to think of himself as an optimist. He sold his left arm for exotic table meat. Perhaps it would yield a child's portion. It was his only rational option. Thank Forbes the burning had not yet progressed so far as to scorch his arm meat beyond sale ability. He couldn't raise a stake to start a minimal business by selling just an arm. He could not afford dollar sign stencils to resell to roving graffiti artists. He could not afford the mass-produced counterfeit $2 bills that entrepreneurs stuck in their bicycle wheels for that lucky feng shui flutter of profit like the riffle of a stack of bills to begin their days. He couldn't even afford to borrow against his other arm in order to start a micro-business as a placeholder in one of the thousands of lines waiting for service across the city because he had no legs. He could hold a place while legless, of course, but what self-respecting entrepreneur would let his place be seen to be held by a legless man? Appearances must be kept up. He understood. He wouldn't have hired himself. So he sold his left arm right up to the pit for meat. The money kept him going, but nothing more, though he felt certain something would turn up. He liked to think of himself as an optimist. Where there is life, there is the potential for profit, he said. Forbes had not said that. He had. Forbes had only inspired him to say it. He didn't think it was as pithy or as universal or even as memorable as one of Forbes's sayings, but he did think it had a certain gutter optimism. In his dreams, he had legs. Three legs, none of which were aligned straight in any axis, none of which were the same length, none of which were the same size, none of which were balanced. Walking proved to be quite impossible, but in the dreams walking also proved to be quite necessary. He never knew why. He fell often. He had no arms in the dreams, so he always fell on his face. His dreams were always about falling and breaking his face over and over again. It was necessary. He never knew why. He learned that it was not true that if one falls in a dream, one will awaken before one hits the ground. In his dreams, he also learned that he was not an optimist. He called these dreams and not nightmares, because after he awakened, he discovered to his delight that he always became an optimist once again. He lay on his back in the gutter, glowing gray waste water, sometimes more waste than water, sometimes not, gurgling past his head with a pleasant, aimless rhythm. He stared at the artificial sky, He knew that the old sky couldn't be seen beyond the artificial sky, but he looked for it anyways. He'd heard the stories of fleeting glimpses of the outside that somehow, some way became visible if one stared long enough. The gray wastewater flowed freely past where his arm used to be. He saw nothing but artificial sky. It seemed like an idle way to spend his time, and he disliked idleness, but he watched anyway. Perhaps, he thought, there was an entrepreneurial opportunity in it if he looked hard enough. He couldn't say when, but at some point he noticed a hover limo idling alongside him. The fan wash blew across his body, pure and clean, as if even the air that lifted the wealthy above the streets was better than normal air, designed air, perhaps, like powdered diamonds. 
The fan wash didn't blow through his hair, though, because he had no hair. He had sold it. He had no nose to inhale the air because he had sold that as well. He had no ears. He had sold them. He had five fewer ribs than an ordinary man. He had sold them. He did not have the name of his birth. He had sold it. He still remembered it, though, and he felt the lash of guilt for knowing that he was breaking the terms of his sales agreement every time he remembered it. He did his best to forget it, but forgetfulness was difficult. His name was now Gutleek Pigstink 128 in all lowercase letters. He hadn't been able to afford any capitals. He had refused to sell any of his teeth, however, because he knew that a successful entrepreneur needed a winning smile. He had no lips. They had been repossessed as a penalty for remembering his name two months ago, or two years. He couldn't quite remember. The fan wash blew the burning stench of the industrial intestinal water away from Gutleek Pigstink 128. The hover limo, a Rolls-Royce silver sigh, never set down. He blessed his good luck, or his foresight, that he had not yet sold his eyelids, because he could still squint into the almost solid brunt of the fan wash and watch the silver-sized, blue-glitter-ice-painted door slide open and see a man sitting there, suit-dressed and four-limbed and with mirrored eye implants, who said to him, "'You are just what I'm looking for. Do you want a job?' "'You will never speak,' said Major Domo, the four-limbed man with mirrored eyes. He had no name beyond Major Domo, at least no name he would reveal. Perhaps it had been legally changed, as Gutleek Pigstink 128's head. It would have been a minor indignity in order to live and work where he lived and worked. After all, he retained all his original limbs, his tongue, his nose, his ears.' And what is a name, really? In exchange for a name and some eyes, he lived and worked in a mega-mansion. Actually, in the most mega of the many mega-mansions owned by the quadrillionaire Munley Slim, the richest man in the history of rich humanity. What is a name, he thought, set against that? And now Gutleek Pigstink 128 worked for Munley Slim as well. If you speak, said Major Domo, if you utter even an unintelligible grunt, you will be terminated immediately. Good fortune rained down upon him from the heavens. The skies had split apart and showers of gold had drenched him till he glowed like a Fabergé fever. Thank Forbes. He sparkled with the promise of prosperity. The bones that he had retained felt lightened. The flesh that remained to him glowed with warmth. The spirit that he was allowed to access without legal penalty joined with the angels. His life felt as if it were finally falling into place like consecutively numbered bills. He had a job. Major Domo screwed a hand-carved oak Edwardian chair leg into a titanium socket that had been surgically implanted into the bone tip of his left shoulder, where his left arm had once lived. Two other matching antique Edwardian chair legs had already been screwed into titanium sockets implanted into the tips of his thigh bones. On all fours, said Major Domo, when he had tightened the leg to his satisfaction. There, he pointed to a spot on the plush carpeted floor. Gutleek Pigstink 128 knelt on all fours, one hand and three Edwardian legs. The combination felt strange, new, but not beyond his ability to adapt to, and so he said nothing. He made no sound at all except for a slight scrunch into the carpet. 
Major Domo settled a wooden chair frame armrests and a seat back on top of Gutleek Pigstink 128. He said nothing. Major Domo arranged a cushion on top of the frame, on top of his back. Thick, heavy tassels, deep crimson and purple braid, dropped across his face, blocking most of his sight of the vast hall in which he had been assembled. From this point on, you shall behave in all ways as an Edwardian side chair would behave. Failure to do so will result in immediate termination of your work contract. You will express your understanding and agreement by behaving as an Edwardian side chair beginning this moment. He watched Major Domo turn and walk away. He could do nothing but admire Major Domo's fine shoes and the excellent cut of the lower half of his pants. He did not speak. Chairs did not speak. His spirit, however, joined with the angels. He had a job. Thank Forbes. Now he could build a stake for himself. Now he was on his way once again to becoming a billionaire or even a trillionaire. But wait, was he not an optimist? Was he not even now at the beating heart of Munley Slim's empire? He realized that his problem was that he had always aimed too low, that he had always been afraid of success. Now, he told himself, he was on his way to becoming the world's second quadrillionaire. For several days, Gutleek Pigstink 128 remained the only piece of furniture in the dark hall, set at a 45-degree angle, half-facing a huge fireplace that looked like a mid-21st century Victorian medieval reproduction of a 19th century neo-Gothic revival piece. It loomed over him in shadows, ash, dark, and stone massive, like the taproot of a castle. He couldn't raise his head to see its upper reaches without behaving in an unchair-like manner. He decided that it was either a genuine antique like his Edwardian legs and relocated from some European castle, or it was a cunning and expensive recreation. He didn't know which, but he knew Munley Slim could afford either without a second or even a first thought. Munley Slim had begun life with nothing, or perhaps a few insignificant tens of billions inherited from his father, but no more, and not even that much from his mother. And with nothing more than that and a winning smile, Gutleek Pigstink had memorized the story from childhood. Slim had clawed his way up to become humanity's first quadrillionaire. Slim had been fortunate, no doubt, or perhaps foresighted, or perhaps merely influential enough to get in on the ground floor when the governments of the world decriminalized white-collar crime in the last quarter of the century. And then after that, he was perhaps doubly fortunate, or doubly foresighted, or merely doubly influential, no one could say for certain, when he became the chief financial officer of Earth. The position at first seemed to be a step or two down for a man like Slim, even bordering on the menial, but it did allow him great scope for imaginative, non-traditional methods of remuneration, now that white-collar crime had been legitimized. Who could forget his startlingly original worldwide campaign, Give Slim Money or Starve? Very non-traditional, but also very effective, even for a billionaire. Billions became trillions. Then he devoured other trillionaires like Pez. Trillions became hundreds of trillions. His wealth ceased to be countable by money. Hundreds of trillions became a quadrillion. He had never once been heard to utter the word optimism. No one had yet dared market a bobblehead of him, and everyone said that without Munley Slim, even more than Forbes, the world would not be the place it was. 
Gutleek Pigstink 128 didn't have to wait long before the rest of the hall began to be furnished. Major Domo supervised four-limbed workers as they brought in men and women like himself, people from the streets willing to forego their humanity for a time in order to build a stake for the future. In other words, optimists. Several large, strong men possessing varying numbers of limbs were interlocked like a jigsaw puzzle to form a long, formal, non-speaking dining table in the center of the hall, long enough to seat forty people. Other men and women were twisted into the shapes of matching chairs that lined either side of the table. Slender, waif-like women, almost girls, were transformed into slender, waif-like standing lamps topped with magnificent Tiffany shades covering their heads. Gutleek Pigstink 128 had no doubt the Tiffany shades were genuine antiques, masterpieces that had survived war and holocaust, disaster and accident, now rendered up into Slim's possession for fortunes which he no doubt hadn't even noticed. A short, legless man held a cut crystal ashtray in his wide, toothless mouth and upturned face. His fat, pale, middle-aged body was then draped in long strands of identical crystal eggs to disguise his unfortunate lump in humanity. Only his misshapen face, his darting dark eyes, his scarred lips and triple chin betrayed his organic origins. He was placed next to Gutleek Pigstink 128. "'You will not speak,' said Major Domo. "'The ashtray did not speak.' Major Domo gave his speech over and over again to every piece of furniture in the hall as it was assembled in place. Gutleek Pigstink 128 did not speak. Chairs did not speak. One day, whether it was morning or afternoon or evening, he didn't know since chairs wore no watches and the hall had no windows— but one day, Munley Slim entered alone. He walked with a slow, deliberate pace across the length of the hall. He stopped and inspected every piece of his new furniture. He turned every lamp on and then off. He picked the crystal ashtray up, jiggled it, perhaps to see what sound it made, then set it down again in the same shallow impression it had left in the plush carpet. The carpet made no sound. Then Munley Slim sat in his Edwardian side-chair. Gutleek Pigstink 128's spine crackled. His elbow shuddered, but he did not collapse. In truth, he had expected Munley Slim to weigh more for a quadrillionaire. But instead, he was a thin man, almost as waif-like as his lamps. He shifted his buttocks like rolls of dimes on the cushion, and by implication on Gutleek Pigstink 128's back. He began to worry. The last thing he wanted was for Munley Slim to be uncomfortable in his new chair. He willed himself into perfect stillness, into utter softness, into ease and solace and total pleasing comfort. He felt Munley Slim's buttocks settle into the space between his missing ribs and kidneys, where a steady trench of discomfort began to grow in his flesh, but only a discomfort and not a pain. Munley Slim lit a cigar or a pipe, or a cigarette. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number Stores or SleepNumber.com. The aroma spread throughout the hall, and the scent was different on a qualitative level from the cardboard and plankton cigarillos he was used to from the streets. He wondered if Munley Slim smoked human flesh. He'd heard the stories of cunning and expensive tobacco. Munley Slim did not shift his buttocks again for almost an hour as he smoked, flicking ash into his fat, misshapen, lumpen crystal ashtray. Gutleek Pigstink 128 stared between the tassels at the back of Munley Slim's finely worked cowboy boots. He'd heard the stories that Munley Slim's boots had cost $887,836 apiece. He wondered if the story that they were made of real cowboys was true. The smoke scent filled Gutleek Pigstink 128's nostrils like a thick coating of another man's sweat. The discomfort in his flesh grew, but not pain. He was a chair, a good, well-upholstered chair, and chairs did not feel pain. He would build his stake here, nothing more, then he would become an entrepreneur again and smoke cigars and wear cowboy boots. He would not let his dreams die. He was an optimist. He would make himself into a millionaire, one dollar at a time. He would make himself into a trillionaire. By Forbes, wasn't he in the beating heart of Munley Slim's empire? Wasn't he an optimist? He would make himself into a quadrillionaire if he would make himself into anything. He brought the brilliant, bright, incisive, diamond-sharp words of Forbes's haiku written in international waters to mind for the thousandth time in his life. Sales filled... Golden wind, silver seas, diamond waves, steer by the dollar. But he didn't speak the lines. Chairs didn't speak. The party glittered. 
each guest more than a night sky full of stars. Aerosolized hallucinogens drifted through the hall, downgraded weaponized material that Munley Slim had acquired after he had purchased all the world's armed forces earlier in the century. His guests, peers, and colleagues, the titans of the planet's industry and finance, billionaires and trillionaires, the heart and soul of humanity's economy and culture, giggled and snorted like drunken teenagers. Gutleek Pigstink 128 thought they looked younger and fitter in person than in the cheap tabloid pictures he normally saw of them, as if the very act of being held up to admiration and emulation by billions of people across the globe weighed them down, as if the flashing lights of the paparazzi aged them on the spot. But here, among friends, they relaxed and looked almost like different people. They treated the furniture as furniture, the table as a table, the chairs as chairs. The lamps gave light, as was the function of lamps. Gutleek Pigstink 128 did not wonder until halfway through the evening if the lights were hot under the lampshades against the slender women's skin. He smelled no burning flesh. At least he smelled no scent like that of Munley Slim's cigar or pipe or cigarette. And then he realized he had not seen Munley Slim all night. And no one had sat in him, though every other chair had been occupied. He watched the guests wander the hall, stopping now and then to inhale designer aerosolized dreams and laugh. Their clothing sparkled, whether webbings of subcutaneous diamonds, or skin-tight lightning cages, or swirls of phosphorescent mist. It all flattered their young, fit, rich bodies. But Gutleek Pigstink 128 had to admit that most of all, their footwear was beyond magnificent, even if it was mostly because of his point of view, and possibly also because he was used to seeing cardboard shoes from his life in the gutter. But one woman's high heels were made of three antique gold coins, a Krugerand, a 1933 double eagle, and a golden gilder, each with a hole drilled through its axis. Each high heel slid through these holes, and the coins spun around the heels like axles, a golden mobile activated by the breeze of walking. Another woman's heels were made of diamonds and rubies and sapphires adhered tip to tip to tip in dizzy spires, resting on an infinite point that made the carpet bleed. A third woman had slender, curving, whitened finger bones for heels, no doubt culled from some bankrupt supermodel and encircled by platinum rings. The men's shoes were no less impractical and conspicuous, delicate and expensive. Shoelaces ended in crystal-clear dice encasing human eyes, and Gutleek Pigstink 128 had no doubt the eyes were genuine. He saw boots inlaid with million-dollar bills, and he had no doubt the bills were genuine. And one man wore insane but rich beyond comprehension hover shoes, of which Gutleek Pigstink 128 had never even heard stories. This man glided an inch above the carpet on a hushing cushion of air, without even the need to move his feet, like an angel of riches. The hover shoes were surfaced in faceted and polished titanium, reflecting light upon flicker upon reflection upon light. The man flew upon twin kaleidoscopes. Gutleek Pigstink 128 was surprised, though he shouldn't have been when this man sat on him. No one had sat on him the whole party. No one had sat on him ever except Munley Slim. 
The shoes shut off. The feet settled to the carpet with a sigh, the man with a groan. The familiar discomfort dug into Gutleek Pigstink 128's back. The insane but rich beyond comprehension man was Munley Slim. The party glittered around Munley Slim in his comfortable chair, like a planetarium of stars swinging around a star projector. Gutleek Pigstink 128 watched as all the shoes, no matter how magnificent, stupendous, astonishing, encrusted, unique, or overwhelming, came and catered to Munley Slim at some point during the evening. In the gutter, he had seen cardboard shoes, one size fits all, but lucky if you could get them and shoes made of string and cloth, and shoes made of just the string along with some dried blood to bind it together, and shoes made of bubble wrap, good for dancing, and shoes made of hair and tinfoil, very nice for the winter. But chairs, he decided, must be experts on shoes. As Munley Slim's chair, he saw every shoe at the party and realized that shoes were the essential expression of wealth clothing he had seen at a distance as each guest entered at the far end of the hall, but all the sartorial visions had soon disappeared beyond the upper reaches of his sight, beyond tassels into darkness. The skin-tight lightning suits still flashed along the floor. The phosphorescent mist still reflected ripples along the lower walls, and the subcutaneous webbing still stippled the women's bare calves. But these effects of light were playthings for the hallucinogens, mere shadows scattered across the walls of his crimson and purple-tasseled cave. The shoes were the thing. The shoes paraded in front of his eyes, the shoes pirouetted and pranced and pony-preened inches from his gaze, close enough to scent the leather, the shoes stopped in front of him, in front of Munley Slim, for seconds at a time, as if expectant, as if waiting for an audience or a benediction, which Munley Slim gave to one and all kind words, warm attention, small personal details dispensed to demonstrate he knew the histories of the people who stood before him in their best shoes. Gutleek Pigstink 128 watched their faces break into dozens of distorted smiles in Munley Slim's kaleidoscopic shoes when he remembered their names. He heard the men snort and the women giggle at his banter. Gutleek Pigstink 128 practiced his winning smile in the shadows beneath the chair, anticipating the future. When every pair of shoes had made the pilgrimage to Munley Slim's chair, the entertainment began. Major Domo stepped to the center of the room. Get your sticks, he bellowed. Gutleek Pigstink 128 watched as four-limbed workers passed out meter-long titanium sticks while others wheeled in a flesh piñata. He'd heard stories of the armless and legless, of the nameless and toothless, of the hairless and noseless, of the earless and eyeless, of those from the streets with nothing left to sell, not a thing left to call their own but their mouths and their hunger pure consumers willing to swallow even their pride along with small, steel-edged party favors while hung upside down in harnesses as human piñatas. He'd heard the stories, but he'd thought that was all they were. Poor bastards. Gutleek Pigstink 128 watched in the mirrored facets of Munley Slim's shoes as the guests swatted at the flesh piñata with their titanium sticks. The piñata had permission to make noise but not speak. 
Stick blows drew a variety of body thuds from his torso, almost as if from a jungle movie, and groans and cries from his throat, until after half an hour of battering by the cheering, happy aerosolized tripping guests, he began to vomit his little token favors all over the floor as he swung in circles under smashing blows and spun from twisting strokes, the steel edges of the hard-won prizes ripping blood and thin puke from his guts and heaves of slop. Oh, how they laughed! The ladies tripped over their heels to avoid his circling sprays of projectile vomit. The gentlemen skipped around the splashing pools. Thank Forbes for long, long sticks. They laughed. What a game! They whacked him and smacked him until he began to dry heave, his pale stomach and throat muscles spasming and shivering on emptiness, and when the spree of prizes had dried up and the fun was over and only the low groaning and a steady thin drip of blood from his ashen lips and delicate webbing of red bruises remained, they tossed their sticks aside and lost interest. They retired to the fireplace to smoke, while Major Domo and the four-limbed workers removed the piñata, almost as if it had never been there at all. Poor bastard, thought Gutleek Pigstink 128, as he watched the removal, the scene broken into dozens of wavering pieces by Munley Slim Shoes. Thank Forbes he had not come to that. Thank Forbes he was on his way to a stake in the future. The smoking guests gathered around Munley Slim in his comfortable chair. Gutleek Pigstink 128's heart swelled with pride to be the center of so many shoes. They twittered with laughter, the gentlemen low, the ladies high, like two choruses. He didn't listen to their exact words. He felt that to do so would be indiscreet for a chair, but he memorized their cadence and tone as he had memorized Forbes's poetry so that he could laugh with them when his time came in the future. But for now, he was a chair. And then the gem-heeled lady made a mistake. She stood on shimmering calves to Gutleek Pigstink 128's right next to the crystal ashtray. He saw her left hand, long-fingered and manicured, rise out of his sight like a metronome, with a cigarette twice as long and slimmer than one of her beautiful fingers, and then drop back into his sight to rest at her thigh. When her cigarette was smoked out, she stubbed it into the lump and ashtray, while at the same moment laughing like fine, orchestrated music at some wealthy witticism. She missed the crystal ashtray. This was a mistake, but a minor one. The ashtray screamed in pain when the smoldering stub burned into his flesh or his eye. Gutleek Pigstink 128 didn't know which. The crystal ashtray itself tumbled to the carpet, spit from the furniture's mouth, and spilled a wedge of gray ashes across the carpet. This was the furniture's mistake, a major one. Oh, I'm sorry, said the gem-heeled lady, a reflex no more. This was a worse mistake. One did not speak to the furniture. It's okay, croaked the furniture, and that was the worst mistake of all. All conversation stopped. Gutleek Pigstink 128 thought he could hear cigarettes burn in the vacuum of astonishment. These words constituted a conversation with the furniture. Gutleek Pigstink 128 almost could not contain his disgust at the lack of professionalism in the ashtray's behavior. Munley Slim's hover shoes switched on. 
He stood and rose into the air, then glided toward the far door, his feet unmoving, angelic smooth in his detachment, touching nothing, saying nothing. Gutleek Pigstink 128 understood. All were furniture to him now. The party was over. None of the shoes moved. Munley Slim stopped at the door, hovering, bent to Major Domo's ear, whispered, and left. Major Domo stepped to the center of the hall, followed by four-limbed workers. "'Everyone is fired!' he cried into the silence, his voice like a plague of tongues. A waif-like lamp fainted dead away. The dining table twisted and swayed, but didn't collapse, so cunning and intricate was its construction." A few of the ladies toppled from their heels, swooning to their knees, so delicate were their constitutions. Gutleek Pigstink 128 held his form. He was a chair. He would remain a chair until they unscrewed his legs. He appreciated the empathy of the fainting ladies for the predicament of the furniture. He knew the rich had feelings more fine-grained than the rest of the population, and he could almost not wait for his ability to empathize to increase with his future wealth. But for now, he was a chair, nothing more, nothing less, and he would behave as such. He watched the four-limbed workers dismantle the furniture and usher the guests out of the hall. But he also watched the workers strip the guests— the handsome men and the fine ladies, of their clothes and shoes as they left. The guests did not demur, though it seemed to Gutleek Pigstink 128 that any mere millionaire, much less a billionaire or trillionaire, would not let a worker strip him or her naked, or even more than naked, since mobile surgical units clustered at the door to remove their glittering implants and shimmering webs. The strangeness of it all came before the shock, and then Gutleek Pigstink 128 realized again that the guests really didn't look anything at all like their pictures in the cheap tabloids. The shock came when he realized that the guests, each and every last one of them, were not millionaires, billionaires, or trillionaires. They were, as he was, people from the streets hired as furniture, hired as billionaires and trillionaires, dressed as billionaires and trillionaires, and now fired. Gutleek Pigstink 128 blinked and set the tassels swinging. Was Munley Slim alone real? Did Munley Slim alone own all the money in the world, having eaten all the other billionaires and trillionaires like Pez? Did Munley Slim own the world itself? No. Such a thing could not be possible. That would mean... Gutleek Pigstink 128 ran the thought down to its ragged end. That would mean that he, Gutleek Pigstink 128, could never be a trillionaire, or even a billionaire, could never be a peer and colleague of Munley Slim. It would mean all his optimism was nothing more than the flying, oily smoke of a city jimmy grinder. The four-limbed workers reached him. "'Take the ashtray,' said Major Domo, standing in front of him in shiny, perfect, unattainable black wingtips. "'But leave the chair. Mr. Slim likes the chair.' The workers disassembled the ashtray and every other piece of furniture in the hall, including all the carpet, except for a small section cut in a square around Gutleek Pigstink 128. Major Domo supervised. The workers worked. 
No one spoke a word to Gutleek Pigstink 128. No one spoke to chairs. When they had emptied the hall, except for Gutleek Pigstink 128 and the small square of carpet on which he stood, they left, turning out the lights as they did. Only a few embers still glowed in the fireplace, the remnants of cigarettes and cigars and the little discarded ghosts of pipe embers. The flickering shadows suited his mood. He could no longer look up at the artificial sky, so he looked down at the carpet as befitted a chair. One of the interwoven pieces of the deep plush, flesh-colored carpet looked up at him, his arms and legs and knee-length hair braided into the arms and legs and knee-length hair of those surrounding him, and recited Forbes's, on realizing a new morning dawns each new morning. The sky never falls. Willows rustle in sunlight. Markets never fall. My name is Mouse Piss backslash Pissmouth, the carpet whispered. All lowercase and mouse and mouth are misspelled. I couldn't afford spell checker capitals. Nice to meet you, fellow entrepreneur. Mouse Piss backslash Pissmouth smiled a toothless smile and winked at Gutleek Pigstink 128 with his remaining eye. Gutleek Pigstink 128 smiled. This was what he liked to see. Optimism. His spirit, at least that part of it that he was legally allowed to access, soared to join the angels. But he didn't say anything. Chairs didn't speak. And in truth, though he said nothing, he thought the carpet had behaved in quite an unprofessional manner by speaking. Martin Munt reading his own story, Chair. Only Marty, that I know of, could write a story like that. Marty has the ability to take the totally bizarre, the completely outré, the, the oddest of odd people, and put them together in a way that just makes perfect sense, is extraordinarily funny, is right to the point, and can scare the living hell out of you. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I hope to get Marty back. He's one of the writers that, for me, typifies what good horror writing should be. Um, not all of his stories are like this, but they are all very much like this. That doesn't make sense, but as you get to know me, you'll find out that it does. I hope to get more people like Marty in on this. We'll also have people like Joe Lansdale, Gene Wolfe, other people of great magnitude, uh, as I believe Marty and some of the other people that that you'll hear on here are people that many have not heard of. That was the reason I took the job uh, when Tony C. Smith from the Starship Sofa, thank you, Tony, offered it to me, and here it is. I'm going to wrap this up now. Uh, in future weeks, we'll have articles, uh, fact pieces, uh, we'll have hopefully music, we'll have art, we'll have all the things, all those wonderful aspects that the Starship Sofa has, and maybe some more. We probably won't have uh, best of volumes yet, just yet, and let me know what you think. Uh, 
I can be reached via the forum on the Starship, and perhaps one day this will have a forum as well. So, good evening, children of the night, and sleep tight. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.